welcome to the Magic and Alchemy podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, setting intentions, forgotten folklore, and mythology. Created by Tamed Wild, magicandalchemy.com is a collection of stories, rituals, and articles crafted by a variety of creators and writers, including myself, Kate Ballou, and my co-host, Kristen Lizenby. Hello, and welcome back to the Magic and Alchemy podcast. I'm Kristen Lizenby. And I'm Kate Ballou. Happy 2022. Can't believe it. Happy New Year. How are we feeling right now? You know, although we are definitely Wheel of the Year witches on this podcast, I still love the magic of the New Year of the Gregorian calendar, like just after the solstice. And the whole season feels glittery to me, even here in this cavern of wintering. For sure. And that feeling of newness is so contagious. And I don't know if anyone out there is like me, but I love this time of year. I love all the planning, the new journals. I love reflecting on how I've grown, what I was doing this time last year, and of course, what's yet to come. Which is why today we have astrologer Riss Cottrell back on the show with us. Welcome back, Riss. Welcome, Riss. Hey, everyone. So good to be here. For those who don't know Riss and her work, Marissa Cottrell is a shadow work coach, astrologer, and creator. Using these tools, she helps people become conscious of the unconscious, enabling them to transform their lives and achieve their goals. In addition, Riss is the owner of the brand All My Ancestors, where she offers handmade items that aid people on their spiritual journeys. Today, we're going to talk about the astrological themes for the start of the year and also talk with Riss about shadow work. Winter is the perfect time to talk about this special and sacred practice. So shall we dive in? Let's do it. So we're almost in Aquarius season. What are some themes of the season and of Aquarius that you might suggest working with to our listeners? Yeah, I love this question, especially because I have so much Aquarius in my own chart. Um, My sun and rising are both Aquarius. So I'm very, very familiar with this energy. Um, And I love working with this archetype a lot. So essentially, the Aquarian themes to work with are rebelliousness. And this comes in a lot of different forms. Aquarius really has the reputation of being uh, kind of a rebel because it sees what's not working in society and it really uh, pushes society forward. So it earns this reputation as a rebel, and it also earns this reputation because it is very committed to its own authenticity, which can be really hard to do in society. So it's kind of going against the grain, um, doing your own thing, and it takes a lot of courage and bravery to do that. So some really great themes to work with are rebelliousness from a standpoint of becoming aware of societal structures that aren't working anymore and rebelling against them. So um, 
progressing society forward and humanitarianism? Uh, like, how could we support LGBTQ plus um, standing against racism, oppression, all of those sorts of things? Aquarius is also a really social energy, and so it's very committed to tribe and community. So another really great theme to work on during this time is building your tribe intentionally with like-minded people. Uh, it's Tribe is very, very important to Aquarius, and it's how it kind of makes the, the future vision sort of happen. Another thing which I mentioned before already is authenticity. So owning everything that makes you unique and eccentric and understanding the gifts you have to give to the collective. So this can be kind of a really hard one that people struggle with oftentimes, especially, you know, me being a shadow work coach, I see people having a hard time owning who they are uniquely. Um, So really getting in touch with, with what makes you eccentric and unique technology, science, futuristic visions, coming up with ideas for the future. This is a great time to do that for January as we're moving forward for the new year. Um, And it's also not just coming up for ideas for the future, for your own life, but also for the collective. And then um, some some final themes here are freedom, intellect, out-of-the-box thinking, deep thinking and problem-solving, Uh, collective sort of outlooks. Aquarius is not really focused on individual mindset. It's focused on the collective. Um, So that's really, really, those are the topics that to focus on during this Aquarius season. As an Aquarius, I'm sitting over here like, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) We love it. So we're at the beginning of 2022. What should celestial-minded beings be paying attention to? What's going on in the stars? Yeah, well, I work personally, I work a lot with new and full moons. So always being aware of when those are, I think, are really important, especially if you're a witchy person, you know, moving with the lunar cycles is is very important. So becoming aware of the cycles, the new moons and the full moons. Um, We already had a new moon, but we'll be having a full moon on the 17th of January. And then Mercury also goes retrograde on the 14th in Aquarius. So everybody kind of shrivels when they hear Mercury retrograde, you know, which I believe that, you know, it kind of earns a bad rep a little bit, but there's a ton of really beautiful things about Mercury retrograde as well. Um, So Mercury will be going retrograde um, as it's forming a conjunction to Saturn and squaring Uranus. This is a very, very interesting kind of energy. Um, Actually looking at the chart here, this is a great time to kind of look at where we're suppressing, um, you know, working on on oppression and societal kind of issues within ourselves. Mercury retrograde is a really introspective kind of energy. And in the sign of Aquarius, it's asking us to really focus on, um, you know, being really aware of our dialogue that supports, uh, like I mentioned before, societal issues like racism, um, oppression, any kind of separateness that really kind of uh, serves as a catalyst for for fighting and a catalyst for those dark sort of things that we move through as a society. Um, It's kind of asking us on a bigger level with Uranus there to break free of those things, um, break free of how we kind of perceive things in society. Um, And there's a ton of other stuff that I could say about that, but that's kind of the a few things that I wanted to mention about that placement. So 
this is a great time to really think about about those issues. Um, this is also a great time to just think about change in general. Uranus kind of shocks things into change a little bit. Mercury will go back into Capricorn on January 25th, and Aquarius season starts on the 19th. So the sun, that's when the sun moves into, into another constellation like Aquarius. Venus also goes direct on the 29th of January, something to pay attention to. So applying a lot of uh, lessons around love. Um, like I said, retrograde planets are very introspective. So it gives us time to think about the topic that the planet represents. So when Venus goes direct, it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to really reflect on relationships, love, of pleasure, um, luxury, all of those things, peace, harmony, all of those things that Venus really represents. Um, in February, Mercury goes direct on February 3rd while it's still in Capricorn, and then it travels back into Aquarius on February 14th. And then on February 1st, we have a new moon in Aquarius and a full moon in Leo on the 16th, which is actually my birthday. So I'm actually, yay, I'm like really excited. (laughs) I saw that the full moon was on my birthday and I was just, you know, as a witchy astrologer, I just couldn't be more happier. So, (laughs) and the sun enters Pisces on the 18th, Um, finishing off with March here. On March 2nd, we have a new moon in Pisces, super beautiful energy. Uh, Pisces is very fantasy-based. It has to do with a lot of healing, compassion, merging uh, with souls. It's kind of like the oneness of—it's the last sign of the zodiac, and so it experiences this oneness as it is dying and gets reborn into Aries. Um, so really beautiful energy there. Mars and Venus will enter Aquarius at the same degree, which is super juicy on March 6th. Definitely pay attention to that placement. Um, that's a very passionate placement and I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, Mercury will also enter Pisces on March 9th and then we'll have a full moon in Virgo on the 18th. And then a couple of days later on the 20th, the sun will go into Aries and that'll actually be the astrological new year, which is also super juicy. So really, really beautiful themes at play here. And I'm excited to to dive in further. And for anyone, any of our listeners who don't know, um, Riss has full moon musings up on magicandalchemy.com. Um, during the full moon and the new moons where you go a lot more in detail about this for anyone who wants to know more. And a good way to like not miss that is to join the newsletter list because then they'll just appear in your inbox like magic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a good way to stay updated with more detailed forecasts for the new and full moons. As someone who is in their Saturn return in Aquarius, I'm excited to see what happens with these Aquarius placements. Girl, I am with you. I am going through it too. You're both in your returns, right? Mm-hmm. It's been a wild ride. <laughs> Yeah, hold on, folks. <laughs> hold on to your marbles. <laughs> exactly. Um, Rest. you work as a shadow work coach as well. So can you describe a little bit about what that process looks like? What exactly does shadow work mean for our listeners who may be unfamiliar? Yeah, shadow work is such a deep passion of mine, and I love mixing astrology with shadow work. It's just such a potent tool for shadow work. But um, essentially, I get a lot of questions around this too. Like people people follow me for a long time and then they they ask me, 
a very fundamental question, which is what is shadow work? And it's such a common question. So I'm happy that we're really digging into this today. Um, Shadow work is something that has actually existed for thousands of years, but the term was actually coined by psychologist Carl Jung. And it's a process of becoming conscious of the unconscious. And specifically, he, he termed it as uh, becoming conscious of the unconscious, but it's the unconscious things that the ego kind of suppresses, denies, disowns. It doesn't like to identify with it. And so it becomes a fragmented part of the psyche or the fragmented part of the personality, which the person um, kind of suppresses and and doesn't really accept about themselves. Um, all of this, this shadow is really created by self-rejection, um, self-denial, not accepting oneself. Um, and so it's really important to be aware of it and when it really hijacks your life, which happens so often. So, um, so the parts of us that we don't accept or, or we're ashamed of and they, and they get suppressed, these, these things typically happen in childhood, but it can also happen throughout our adult years as well. It can happen at any point in time, really. But um, but shadow work really allows us to really deep dive into our patterning. So what happens is when we do have these unconscious patterns at the wheel, we end up at a job that we don't like, or we're with a partner that, we, that doesn't resonate with us, or we end up on a life path that completely does not speak to us. And I would say that so many people suffer from these things. And it's kind of that reality where you wake up one day and you're like, how did I get here? You know what I mean? And that's that's kind of how you know shadow was at the wheel is when you you kind of walk through life on autopilot and then you end up unhappy or you realize that you're not being true to yourself one day. So um so it's a really, really important process. Um and to be aware of, absolutely. Reminds me of that talking head song, you know, like, this is not my beautiful wife. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. It's it's imperative because this is this is really how we choose healthier and more fully fulfilling and meaningful lives. So um it allows us to really open up to feeling safe and intimacy, um, claiming who we are, uh, feeling alive in life as opposed to just moving through life on autopilot. And it gives kind of like a hack into our subconscious so we can create our own realities, which is incredibly powerful. Um, And I know that you mentioned what is this process? You asked, what does this process kind of look like? And there's so many ways to do shadow work. Um, but oftentimes what I do with my clients is it looks like a lot of inner child healing. It looks like a lot of meditation. It looks, some people like to use hypnosis even. Um, it's asking the raw and the deep questions. It's getting really, really familiar with your triggers. What is triggering you? What does it feel like? Where does it exist in the body? How do you recognize it when it comes up? It's, it's such a deep practice. And once we kind of get clarity, we can begin how to learn how to love the shadow. And this looks like self-love and compassion and healing. So the first steps for me are really gaining awareness around a pattern that's occurring in my life, getting clarity on where it comes from, how it impacts me, and what the underlying beliefs, values, motives, priorities are, and understanding what I truly want my experience to be in my heart of hearts. 
which I have to connect to in meditation as well. So it's a lot of body awareness. It's a lot of connection to intuition. And then healing myself and and learning to love the parts of me that are feeling painful. So I can really transform from the inside out in order to create the life that I want for myself. So obviously everyone is different and obviously everyone has different shadows, but in your opinion, where's a good place to start for somebody interested in shadow work? Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question. Um, I think it kind of looks different for everybody and everybody kind of responds to different things. But for me, it actually started with Buddhism. So it it started with uh, heavily meditating Um, every single day. So anything Buddhist related is actually a really great resource and a really great way to start to understand your mind and the unconscious. Um, So when I started getting into meditation, I started realizing all of these mindsets that were playing in the background. Um, And then I started getting introduced to some other teachers, which I'll share a little later. Um, I got introduced to their work and it helped me to really learn how to love these shadows and work with these shadows. So um, really diving into meditation is a great way to start. Um, And learning how to meditate in and of itself is kind of a journey, but it's Mm -hmm. it's pretty important. Um, Pattern and trigger awareness, body awareness, like I said, those things, um, just even becoming aware of your triggers. Like a good place to start is if you notice you're getting angry or if you notice you're getting upset or sad or frustrated or even numb, um, asking yourself, what am I reacting to? What story am, is playing out in my unconscious mind that I am reacting to right now? Um, so it's it's a process of questioning yourself. So really starting to question Um, question yourself because a lot of people don't do that. And then they just accept the reality as it is, not realizing that it doesn't have to be that way. So questioning your reality is a great place to start as well. Um, Now I would say that it's second nature for me to recognize my my shadow. It's like it, it has its own sort of category that I consciously choose not to feed into or play into. Um, but it took practice for me to get there. And whenever it comes up, the first thing I do is question it. Is that thought true? Where is it coming from? That's also really important with shadow work. Where did this come from? Where did this belief stem from? And what is it saying about how I'm relating to myself in the outer world right now? So um, this leads me to meeting the wounded version of myself and then moving into loving and healing those parts, which doesn't happen overnight. Um, It's a conscious ongoing process, but it really completely shifts your reality. It almost feels like shadow work is a conversation like with your body and your emotions Um, almost like getting out of your head a little bit, right? Because we spend so much time just like overthinking everything. And I think shadow work kind of forces us to get in contact with the other parts of ourselves. I would definitely agree with that. I think that's a great way to put it. And I also want to add that I think it's also being a witness to your mind. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? It's not necessarily the way that I describe it as is – Oftentimes when we're feeding shadow, it's almost like it's at the wheel of a car. Um, But shadow work allows us to actually take the back seat 
and watch what's actually at the wheel. So it gets to be, we get to be a witness in our journeys. And we, and it it's nice because it doesn't make things so personal anymore. You realize that it's thoughts. It's not you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like a new way to check in with yourself, right? Like I think it's Thich, Thich Nhat Hanh has like a quote about how revolutionary it is to like be in conversation and in like community and dialogue with your own self. And so I think that it kind of gives new avenues for that where we might not have that built into our everyday normally. Yeah, absolutely. I love Thich Nhat Hanh. And um, I think, I think one strategy too, that's really helpful on that front is also like naming your shadow So like I have my clients do this a lot and it sounds silly, but that actually helps you categorize it as this isn't you, this is just shadow coming up. You know what I mean? So you get to be like, and you know, they always come up with like, (laughs) they always come up really with really funny names, you know, but it's like, oh, like that's not me. That's, (laughs) that's like Lucilia, you know what I mean? So um, it gets to be a fun process too. Um, And that's what I think is also really important to understand is that a lot of people feel scared of shadow work and they look at it as this like scary, dark thing, but it does get to be extremely liberating, healing, and fun. Part of that is like the demonization of like the dark, right? Like it's the connotations that we have with that word are so misdirected and so... um, I guess, patriarchal or whatever these sort of systems are. Yes, I could literally go down that rabbit hole with you (laughs) for so long. But yeah, it really is like the essence of the dark goddess, the mysterious unseen realms. Um, And you can see this in astrology too with like the 12th house. It is the unseen, the darkness. And really you can understand your relationship to shadow based off of how you navigate through the darkness and the unseen realms. Do you freak out and not trust or do you surrender trust and know that you have the tools to move through it? So it's a, it's a really interesting process. So you mentioned some teachers that have really influenced you. So do you want to talk a little bit more about them and kind of what resources you turn to in your own practice? Yeah, sure. And like I said, I I know that everybody's path is going to be unique to them. But as I mentioned before, I got really, my path was initially very Buddhist. um, And then I got onto a pagan path years later, which uh, that's a whole other story. (laughs) But um, I would definitely recommend, like you said, Thich Nhat Hanh is great. I love I love the um, the Buddhist teachings. Another uh, Buddhist monk that I used to listen to literally every single day for like years. His name was Ajahn Brahm, and he's a Buddhist monk in Australia. And uh, you know, it's funny because I see all this literature about shadow work, and I don't see a ton of Buddhist references which is really funny to me because they are like the masters of shadow work, you know, Um, and they might not call it that, but it is like, you know, at its extreme going into the darkness of the cave, you know, and, and being in there and meditating for a really long time just to be with the unconscious mind, which is also a 12th house theme in astrology. Uh, so the the house that is connected to the hidden, mysterious, unseen realms is also connected to meditation and like 
the the monasteries, you know. Um, so it's it's really interesting how that's sort of connected. But um, but Ajahn Brahm is absolutely great. Um, I went down an absolute teal swan rabbit hole for years. <laughs> um, so she is, uh, I, I absolutely love, 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 love her work. Um, she, I think, does a really great job at explaining shadow work and explaining the unconscious from a place of, um, like, she's very good at at putting it in in simple terms for people to really understand. And I think that's a huge strength of hers. But um, but she is a very, very gifted shadow worker. So those are a few resources that I really love. Um, but I also really love listening to uh, other coaches' podcasts, spiritual coaches, because, you know, spiritual coaches are typically knee-deep in this psychological work. Um, so a couple of names that I listen to a lot are um, Melissa Wells and Aubrey Marcus. I think they're both really, really great. Um, but yeah, I would definitely recommend uh, looking into some Buddhist texts for sure. I just read um, Gold Mining the Shadows by Pixie Lighthorse, and that's a good one too um, for folks looking So I'm actually reading this really fabulous book right now that talks about mythology and the shadow, and it's called Courting the Wild Twin by Dr. Martin Shaw, if anyone's interested. Um, But I'm curious, Riss, what are your thoughts on storytelling in the shadow? I know that you're a word witch and you have all sorts of beautiful writings on the Magic and Alchemy blog. So can storytelling and mythology be a way for us to meet our shadow? Absolutely. And I'm I'm actually really excited that this is a topic that we're talking about today because I actually, um, during my shadow work workshops, I always weave in mythology into the teachings. And, and it's typically mythology that's correlated with astrology. Um, but mythology is especially good for this because shadow is a It's a very human thing, but in pagan mythology, the gods typically embody a lot of human traits. So you can really see shadow playing out through greed and jealousy and fear and all of these things. Um, All of the gods, as well as the mythological beings in general, have their own downfalls. And this is kind of very true for us, too, as humans, you know, like— we're all our own heroes on our on our own heroes' journeys, but we all have our own Achilles heel. So, um, so it, so mythology is really, really great for for looking at these things. Um, they kind of these gods kind of end up being their own worst enemies at times, which is indicative of shadow and something us humans can really relate to. And I, I think that's why mythology is so brilliant. It really serves us as a mirror to better understand the human experience. Are there any specific stories that come to mind or archetypes? Oh my gosh, there are too many stories <laughs> to choose from. <laughs> because it's a big question. It's a huge question, yeah, because you can see shadow play out in almost all of them. Um, but the first goddess who actually came to my mind when you asked that question is, is Hera in Greek mythology, um, and she's Zeus's wife. And she's known to kind of be the jealous type in mythology, which is understandable because Zeus isn't the most faithful husband. But mm-hmm. 
(laughs) (laughs) But she would trick Zeus's lovers into their demise and really fall victim to her own desire for vengeance. And all of that really comes from shadow. It comes from the unconscious parts of us that are at the wheel. So this is indicative of wounds around worth, honesty, healthy communication, all of those things. Um, And so mythology is just honestly a it's just such such a breeding ground for shadow. It's it's amazing. Um, and speaking of wounds, my favorite god to talk about when it comes to shadow work is Chiron, uh, which is also a placement in the natal chart. That's actually uh, right next to where my moon is. So he's he's an interesting character that I like to talk about. Um, Chiron is also a character from Greek mythology who is a staple for shadow. Um, In astrology, he's the wounded healer, and he represents where we've been wounded in our lives and where we're here to heal, embark on a journey of healing. And though we never may be completely healed, we learn so much from this wound, and it is a source for our deepest wisdom. So it's a really strong placement in the chart. And his story, Chiron's story, was essentially um, that he he was a centaur, a centaur, and was abandoned by his mother very early on in life. And she perceived him to be a monster because he was half human and half horse. And so uh, he kind of suffers from this abandonment wound his entire life. And this really ties into his character. And so you know, more often than not, a lot of the times when I get to core issues with people in um, in my coaching containers, it's kind of very evident that a lot of their suffering comes from a wound of abandonment, and that, that happens a lot. Um, so in terms of archetypes like Chiron, every placement in the chart also has shadow aspects and evolve aspects. Um, the natal chart really is an entire wheel of evolution in which we are constantly being asked to integrate the shadow aspects of each planet and sign so we can evolve, so we can evolve into the next. And so it, it really is just like a infinite cycle of just, um, healing, integration, learning, uh, falling on your face and, and this whole wheel of that evolutionary process. Lots of death and rebirth. Right. Oh my gosh. Kind of like the wheel of the year, it feels like. Yeah. And astrology really is its own wheel of the year. And what mm-hmm. I what I think is so beautiful about it is it always seems to correlate with the pagan wheel of the year, um, which is is so beautiful. You know, you have like the mm-hmm. re the rebirth in the spring on the pagan wheel of the year, and then that correlates to Aries, which is this rebirth into the zodiac. Um, mm-hmm. so they kind of go hand in hand most times, I would say, if not all. Um, so it's it's really interesting. So would you recommend then to listeners, like maybe pulling up their own birth chart and looking at where a Chiron is, um, as well as maybe if they have planets in that 12th house, as sorts of keys? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So um, I get that question a lot. What do I look for in the chart? to point Mm -hmm. to shadow. Um, And there's actually a ton of things that you can look at because a lot of people might have the 12th house empty, you know, or Chiron Mm -hmm. might be by itself in one house. Absolutely. Looking at Chiron is, is really important. And I always do in my work, but there's a lot of ways that you can see shadow in the chart. So, um, hard aspects 
So oppositions, squares, um, also observing the malefic planets and what they're doing. So looking at Mars, looking at Pluto, looking at Saturn and what they're doing. And if they're being aspected in a really harsh way, that typically points to shadow. Um, it points to tension. And because if you think about it, shadow really comes out when we are in the darkness. You know what I mean? Um, shadow comes out when we're afraid, when there's like tension, you know, and this is such a sacred space. And I think a lot of this, again, is like very societal. And again, we can go down the rabbit hole around darkness. But um, but essentially, you know, um, it is kind of observing how the different archetypes manifest under tension. So for instance, Mars can get really angry and frustrated and, and impatient. Um, Pluto can just destroy literally anything it touches, you know? <laughs> um, so, you know, and, and every planet, even the benefics have their own shadow. So you have to look at how they're being aspected and how they're communicating to each other. So last time we spoke with you, Riss, you had just quit your nine to five to devote your full attention to astrology and coaching. Uh, and I know you will also be at the Tamed Wild Retreat in January for In Bulk with Kate. Yay. So what other things can we look forward to from you in 2022? Any upcoming projects or ventures that you're really excited about? Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm I'm kind of, uh, I'm going to admit, I'm having kind of like a hard time balancing everything with with all of my new projects. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I've definitely got some things in the works for sure. Um, things have really expanded since I went full-time. Um, and right now I'm really focusing on my offerings and actually bringing community together, which is funny because it's a very Aquarius kind of thing. Um, I host new and full moons every single month. And I noticed the more I got community together, the more they started getting to know each other. And it really felt so fulfilling and loving for me. And so it kind of sparked this, um, this idea within me to really expand on this community and bring people together. Um, so definitely exercising my Aquarian traits there. <laughs> I'm also planning on doing some more group work um, in my coaching containers as well. My coaching has really expanded and I'm working on designing a shadow work journal as well, which I'm really excited about. And I, cool. I hand, yes. And I hand make, uh, ritual candles as well. So I'm going to design and hand make a, a ritual candle to go along with the shadow work journal. And right now, basically when clients sign up, uh, for shadow work coaching, because it's it's an eight week long process, they get um, a ritual candle in the mail that they can light during our sessions and also during the ceremonies. So it's an intention candle, and you know during our sessions, I always ask, "What is your intention for the call?" You know, so it's it's a really beautiful way to connect with the magic of the call, and I want to really expand on that even further with this journal. Um, so yeah, so what's really kind of in the works for me right now is, is group work, um, the journal, um, and just some, some new offerings in terms of bringing people together. Can't wait. And Riss, where can our listeners find your work? 
Yeah. So um, I write the moon musing section for Tamed Wild. So that's on the Magic and Alchemy blog. And you can find my work um, on the new and full moons there, as we mentioned earlier on in this podcast episode. Um, I also have a website, www.marissacottrell.com. I do have some of my own personal blog pieces on there, as well as events. So I host, uh, again, the ceremonies, but also workshops for shadow work um, and kind of deep diving into these raw and real sort of topics. Um, So you can definitely check that out. I have a YouTube channel called All My Ancestors, um, so you can check that out as well. And those are really the main platforms where you can find me. You can also find me on Instagram, and my handle is at all my ancestors. Thank you so much to Riss and to you listeners for joining us today on Magic and Alchemy, a podcast from Pain Wild. Again, we're Kate Ballou and Kristen Lizenby. You can find us online at K8 Ballou and at East and Alchemy. Send us all of your questions, comments, or just say hello via email at podcast at You can view all the amazing offerings from Tamed Wild on their Instagram at Tamed Wild or on the blog magicandalchemy.com. Tune into next week's episode where we talk about Athena and Medusa. Just a reminder that magic and alchemy are always available to those who know where to look for it. So mode it be or something better. Until next time. Mm-hmm.